Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and patients. Now, let's get this conversation started. Hi, everybody. This is Tara Hatfield. I'm the Education Outreach Coordinator with QSource. And I'm Don Gettinger, and I'm a Quality Improvement Advisor with QSource. And today we're going to be talking with Patrick Liu from the Indiana Immunization Coalition. Patrick's going to talk to us about all things immunization from adult to childhood and everything we need to know to keep ourselves safe and healthy. So, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. Do you mind to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yep, this is Patrick Glue with the Indiana Immunization Coalition. We are a nonprofit that we work closely with the State Department of Health's Immunization Division. We cover the whole state. We administer vaccines, which is something that we've only actually done for a couple of years, but already at the point where we administered thousands of vaccines, and that's for all ages. In addition to administering vaccines, we educate about and advocate for vaccines. So that's creating free resources, educational materials, speaking with legislators. So sort of all things vaccines in Indiana. Excellent. Well, let's just jump right in. Um, As far as adults, um, the adult vaccine schedule, what are the adults needing to get right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lot of people know about uh, children's vaccines, but really forget about adult vaccines. And there, there are several that adults should get. So one that pretty much everybody's familiar with is seasonal flu. So of course we want to get that. Uh, Tdap, that stands for tetanus, diphtheria, and pertussis. That's an important one. So we would get that as a booster shot every 10 years. Typically before we, uh, we turn 18, the last time we would have received that is around age 11. So from then on, we'd want to receive it every 10 years. In addition, when women are pregnant, they would want to receive that in the uh, third trimester of their pregnancy and ideally have everybody else in the family to re- receive that too. That's to protect the, the baby-to-be from pertussis, which in adults sometimes doesn't have symptoms, but for children, especially young children, can really be deadly. Uh, third vaccine that's really important for adults to receive is HPV or human papillomavirus. That's routine for everybody through age 26. And uh, just in the last couple of years actually um, is extended out to age 45. So everybody through 26 should get it. If you're between 26 and 45 years old, discuss with your doctor. Uh, and a key thing I should point out with HPV is it's men should get it too. It's for men, it's for women, for both. That's really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, next vaccine is hepatitis B. That's for all adults between 19 and 59 years old. Uh, children now routinely receive it. Actually, their first dose is at birth, but that's only been in recent years that that's been the case. Um, meningitis is, there's two different kinds of meningitis vaccines. Uh, the first is for, is ACWY, and those are four different strains of, of, uh, meningitis that is, uh, given to college students. So, um, that would college students because of their living circumstances are at higher risk than those who don't attend college. So 
it's strongly recommended in, in many cases in, in schools, public schools and universities is required for students. And meningitis B, B is, a, is another strain in addition to ACWY. That's also recommended for college students. Um, it's not routinely recommended for kids same age who are not going to college. Uh, only two more vaccines. I know it sounds like a lot. Uh, another one that probably most people have heard of is shingles. That's for all healthy adults 50 years and older. Um, and your final vaccine as an adult is for adults 65 years and older, and that's pneumonia to prevent against uh, pneumococcal pneumonia. So I know that was a lot, but um, they're all really important and all necessary to keep us healthy. No, thank you, Patrick. And that's why we're talking about it. It's important for us adults. Uh, one thing I didn't hear you mention, though, was the COVID vaccine. So talk a little bit about how that fits in. Um, for example, when should patients get their second booster if they've already had one? Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you pointed that out. I here I went through the routine vaccines and didn't mention the one that we've been hearing so much about in the last couple of years. By all means, adults should absolutely receive that. As far as the second booster goes, um, well, we know a lot of people, as in the majority of eligible Americans, have received their two dose, initial two dose or one dose series. Unfortunately, fewer people have received um, their first booster and even fewer yet have received their second booster. So uh, adults 50 years old and older at this point are eligible for their second booster. And I believe I just saw a statistic that indicated that only about 30% of adults who are eligible for their second booster, so those 50 years and older and older, have received it to this point. Um, so we know there's an Omicron specific booster that both Pfizer and Moderna are making and are targeting to, to release this fall. Most experts are indicating if you're eligible for your second booster, by all means, get it, get it now. Don't wait for that um, for the fall or for whenever those are coming out. So we urge everybody who is eligible currently to get their second booster to, to do it as soon as possible. Excellent. I know that there's a lot of discussion and a lot of um, different information out there, some of it not um, evidence-based, and that's creating a lot of hesitancy and a lot of concern um, with, with people everywhere. So how do, how do you suggest um, that healthcare providers um, manage these patients that are you know, perhaps hesitant to receive um, any of the vaccines, not, not just COVID, but any of their adult vaccines or, or vaccines for their children? Um, you know, what's some good messaging for them? Yeah, number one would be really listen, ask a lot of open-ended questions. And I, I say all these things knowing that for better or for worse, healthcare providers often have limited time to see patients. So I, I say all these things, understanding that you do these things to the best of your ability in any given meeting or session with the patient. But again, so listen, uh, be open-minded. Uh, do your best to, to be non-judgmental, be curious and respectful about where they're coming from. Vaccine hesitancy can really take a lot of different forms. People can be outright hesitant or even resistant to all vaccines. They could be hesitant about one or two. It's we, we tend to lump them all into one category, but that's really not fair. Um, 
Another thing we had heard about in recent years, some doctors saying, if you're not willing to get vaccinated, then you can't come to this practice. We're concerned about other patients. And we understand the concern about wanting to keep other patients healthy. But now I think the best practice is, is to actually keep that patient in your practice, just in the likelihood that you, over time, can potentially change their mind, can influence them to to think it over and, and get to get vaccinated. And, and you don't want to just reinforce their hesitancy or concern about, about vaccines by just essentially throwing them out there and leaving them to their own resources of finding information. Um, you know, one thing we found, Dr. Monica Casting is a professor at, you know, at Purdue University, and she did some research that indicated that doctors think that patients and parents going into their appointments are going to be a lot more hesitant to receive a vaccine than they actually are. So the truth is that most parents are really open and want their kids and, and adults want to get vaccinated. So don't go into an appointment assuming that the patient is going to be hesitant. Um, now, of course, it's a different story when they express hesitancy, but don't assume it going in that that'll change the way you deal with a person. You may be less likely to give a strong recommendation, which we want them to do. And uh, give this process time, you know, hear them out, realize that you don't necessarily have to, you're, you're not likely to, and you don't have to change their mind in one session. It's okay if this continues over the course of multiple visits, ask if you can bring it up in the next session, and, and then please, you know, again, do so if possible. So I think over time that has the best likelihood of of helping the patient and influencing them. Thank you. So one of the you know reasons the hesitancy you mentioned is sometimes people have concerns about safety. Talk to us a little bit about vaccine safety and, and what kind of controls are in place there right now. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the big picture message is vaccines are really safe. There's a lot of a lot of historical data to indicate their safety. There's a lot of processes in place before the vaccines are released, and then even once they are on the market, the surveillance that's done through multiple systems to monitor any changes in side effects, any extreme or adverse side effects. So know that, yeah, first of all, the process is very closely watched by the FDA, by the CDC, the Advisory Council on Immunization Practice, Advisory Committee. So those are all your different bodies of, of experts who are overseeing the process of the clinical trials and all the different rounds of trials that need to occur before a vaccine is licensed. And then once it goes on the market, you have several surveillance systems in place that are there to catch any severe adverse reactions. One example would be with the J&J &J COVID vaccine, where unfortunately we saw blood clots in a number of women who had received the vaccine and the number was small. This is horrible and we certainly don't want it to happen. If there's any silver lining, it shows how effective the surveillance systems are. They actually were able to find about six women initially who had, had experienced these blood clots. So that tells you that there is a lot of sensitivity in these systems and, and then this, the decision was made to to pause the administration of the J&J vaccine until more research could be done. So hopefully that at least gives some people some confidence 
I, although again, understand that it's, it's scary to see those types of things. Um, vaccines have been pulled before. This is an example, but there have been other examples due to observe adverse reactions. And most of the time, well, people might get a sore arm, a mild headache, a fever. And oftentimes they think, oh no, you know, am I getting what I was vaccinated for? Is this something that's troublesome? No, I mean, those, those more minor adverse reactions are to be expected. So don't think that that means that vaccines are unsafe. Do, do expect those going in. Great, thank you. So you talked about you have at the Indiana Immunization Coalition, you have clinics. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what you do there, who you see there, and how somebody can get hooked up with your resources? Yeah, I'd be happy to. We, uh, we do have clinics. We cover the whole state. So we typically go to schools, so that's K through 12 and universities. Uh, we go to employers and we also administer vaccines or host clinics at community events. So if an organization wants to request our services, they could email or call us. Uh, the email address is clinic at vaccinateindiana.org. The best phone number is 317-628-7116. Uh, we can bring all vaccines, that's childhood through adults, including COVID and flu. Uh, so we can vaccinate children as young as six weeks up through adulthood. Uh, there's no cost for us to come to you. We typically charge insurance for anybody who has insurance. If somebody is uninsured or underinsured, we don't charge them any money. So the vaccines would be free. Our goal really is just to make sure that everybody who needs vaccines gets them. So please do, we, we really do want folks to reach out to us and to, to take us up on, on those services so we can help you out. Actually, that's an amazing service that you guys are, are offering now. I Something that I, I wasn't aware of um, that you did my interactions with the IIC in the past, but um, it sounds like a lot of really great things there. Um, talk about some of the other services that you have too. Yeah, I'd be happy to, and thank you for the compliment. Um, but again, we've only actually begun we only began administering vaccines a couple of years ago, although the, the, the IIC has existed since 2003. So in addition to clinics, we have free resources on our website. The website is vaccinateindiana.org. And so that those are resources for clinical providers, nurses, doctors, but it's also for parents. So it has flyers, diaper bag clips for moms and dads, all those kinds of things. So if you go on our website and you can order them, we'll send them to you. The resources are free, that there's no shipping. So that's one thing that we, we make sure we get out to a lot of folks. Um, we have webinars, which are typically twice a month. Um, they're oftentimes targeted towards public health folks, clinical providers, but there's many that would be of interest to the general public. So if somebody was more interested in finding out about those, they could sign up for our newsletter at vaccinateindiana.org and you would receive emails uh, indicating our upcoming webinars and meetings. We also have maintenance of certification courses for uh, providers. So we have one uh, with regard to uh, HPV and also for Tdap. 
So those those are would get sort of providers would get certification that they need uh, for their own background, but also just useful education. Um, we have a college HPV toolkit, so we reach out to colleges to to help them to increase their HPV vaccine coverage rates. And a final thing I'd want to mention is our advocacy group called Hoosiers Vaccinate. And that's actually falls within the IIC, but also has its own separate website. It's HoosiersVaccinate.org. It started out as parents, just folks who want to say, I believe in vaccines. I believe in getting myself, my children vaccinated, and here's my story. It's not just parents now, it's, it's all folks. So if you want to read blog articles by other parents or find out how you could be an advocate, please do check out HoosiersVaccinate.org. Patrick, this has been great information. And before we close up today, um, I think I think it's really important that, you know, healthcare providers are confident when they give the recommendation to a parent, to a to a patient, whoever it may be, to actually get the vaccine that that they are are due for or that that would benefit them. What is the best way to go about giving a strong recommendation so that a patient feels confident and and ready to receive that vaccine? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess refer back to something I mentioned earlier for one, for if it helps providers to know that the majority of patients are will want to receive vaccines. So that may give a provider some confidence knowing that they don't, it's not going to be a lot of work to talk the patient into it. So no going in that most people are open to it. Um, the second part is you want to give a presumptive recommendation. So go in assuming they want the vaccine and you're going to give it. Don't hesitate or ask too many questions. Um, just you typically want to say, um, today you are due for X, Y, and Z. Are you ready for your vaccines? And then, or do you have any questions? So state it firmly and then give them, of course, the opportunity to ask questions. Uh, we know with HPV in particular, which in the past a lot of parents have been hesitant about, one method you could use is, is called the sandwich method. So HPV is typically administered first time around age 11, which is also the time when Tdap and meningitis are received. And those two vaccines are typically very, there's a lot of uptake of them. Folks are not hesitant to receive them. So what providers can do is you are, your son, John is due for meningitis, HPV and Tdap today. Do you have any questions? So you put HPV in between the other two. Um, and then you also just as much as possible, just you don't want to equivocate, just say, hey, this is what you're due for. Um, and then again, give an opportunity to ask questions, but but say it firmly and without any hesitancy. Patrick, you've shared a lot of information with us, um, and I think it's really important information about the vaccines. I hope um, in this age of COVID, we become more aware of the vaccines that that we need. Um, but there were quite a few that you mentioned. I just want to give a brief opportunity. Is there anything you were wanting to share um, with our audience that we haven't already talked about? Um, we again, we just, I guess, reinforce. We do, we would love to serve all Hoosiers. Please do reach out to us if we could help you with uh, our mobile clinics. We do have open office hours at our office, at which is in Indianapolis on 10th Street at Shadeland. Uh, if you reach out to me, my email address is patrick 
P-A-T-R-I-C-K at vaccinateindiana.org. Be happy to get you office hours. Um, so please know that we are there to help you. Please also, as much, I mean, do, do look to reputable sources for immunization and or vaccine information. So those would be sources like the CDC, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, the Immunization Action Coalition, Vaccinate Your Family. Those are four organizations that you can really feel confident that you're going to get reputable research-backed information. Um, but really appreciate uh, being here and, you know, get, appreciate the opportunity for you guys uh, to, that you gave me to talk. Wonderful. Thank you again, Patrick. This has been Don Gettinger and Tara Hatfield for QSource and the Conversation Podcast. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org forward slash podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Contents does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.